Good morning, and <clears throat> thank you for being here. It's good to see each of you here um, to worship together in this way this morning, and I've certainly been blessed with the service so far, and um, am reminded that, well, it, it's interesting, it feels like a lot of the elements of the service, from the devotional uh, this morning to uh, even what we uh, just heard in form of testimonies here, somewhat tie together. It's not like it, it there's, it, it's not like it directly overlaps or whatever, but it is, it does over, uh, does correlate. <clears throat> I'm going to ask you a question this morning. If I had the power to give you three things that you want, what would you ask for? Just think about that a little bit. Another way of saying, if you could have three things that you want, what would you ask for? I want you to just ponder that a bit as we go into the message this morning. <clears throat> We're going to be concluding our look in Philippians, uh, looking at Philippians. Philippi was in Macedonia or Greece and was the site of the first European church. And um, Paul had a unique bond with these believers, this group of believers. And I think this morning we're going to see part of the reason why. And this, jo this epistle, this letter is filled with joy. It is filled with... Uh, well, there's just a lot of joy that comes out of this, but it's not like he's focusing on how you get joy or that you need to have joy, but rather it's the result of what Christ has done in his life, that this joy just kind of bubbles out of him. <clears throat> again and again, he's, Paul is pointing to Jesus as the most important reality for believers. And he paints a picture in chapter 2 of of Jesus' humility and the example that that is for us. Chapter 3, he emphasizes that one thing of knowing Christ is more important than anything else and never wanting to stop knowing him more. And then the first part of chapter 4 emphasized the authentic character of believers, those that are joyful, thankful, and praying, not anxious about other things, and having their mind focused on the good. And so we're going to conclude chapter 4 this morning, and reading verses 20, 10 to 23 is my text. And I've entitled this morning's message, The Secret. Um, and um, I, I encourage you to follow along as we work our way through this, this passage. But I want to read the text uh, together first. <clears throat> But I rejoiced in the Lord greatly, that now, at the last, your care of me hath flourished again, wherein ye were also so careful, but ye lacked opportunity. Not that I speak in respect of want, for I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. I know both how to be abased and I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things I am instructed both to be full and to, be, and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. 
I can do all things through Christ which strengthens me. Notwithstanding ye have well done, that ye, d- that ye did communicate with my affliction. Now ye Philippians know also that in the beginning of the gospel, when I departed from Macedonia, no church communicated with me as concerning giving and receiving, but ye only. For even in Thessalonica ye sent once and again unto my necessity, not because I desire a gift, but I desire fruit that may abound on your account. But I have all and abound. I am full, having received of Epaphroditus the things which you sent, which were sent from you, an odor of a sweet smell, a sacrifice acceptable, well-pleasing to God. But my God shall supply all your need according to the riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Now unto God and our Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Salute every saint in Christ Jesus. The brethren which are with me greet you. All the saints salute you, chiefly they that are of Caesar's household. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. So this passage is interesting in in various ways. Um, And... uh, I don't know that I've ever looked at it in context of all of these verses together, or at least down to verse from 10 to 20 together, but there's an interesting underlying story behind this. The believers of the Church of Philippi faithfully supported Paul financially after he left Philippi. And it's, he waits until the end of this letter to even acknowledge that. And, and he does express heartfelt gratitude for the gift that they had sent him through Epaphroditus. And sending someone from Philippi to Rome to deliver a gift, it's unlikely this was a small gift. It was fairly, probably a fairly substantial gift. It's also interesting that he's not really saying thank you here. He apparently had already sent his thanks with the travel companions that had come with Epaphroditus, who then returned back to Philippi, while Epaphroditus stayed behind to spend more time with Paul in prison. But he is acknowledging a deep appreciation and gratitude for their generosity and support. And so it's it's interesting as we look at this, while we've seen rejoicing and Joy mentioned numerous times or a number of times throughout this letter. Here Paul says that when he received this generous gift, he rejoiced greatly in the Lord. It's the only time he, um, whatever you want to say, amplifies the rejoicing. Um, so he rejoiced greatly in the Lord. All along, Paul knew that the Philippians cared for him, and they would have shown their concern for him through giving, but they simply didn't have the opportunity. Notice, he doesn't say that they didn't have a chance to share. They lacked the opportunity. Verse 10 again, But I rejoiced in the Lord greatly, that now at the last your care for me hath flourished again, wherein you were also careful, but ye lacked opportunity. Paul doesn't see any of this as an accident. 
or a coincidence or a chance, but rather it's part of God's providential care for him. You know, words matter. We don't get lucky or have a chance to do something. We are given opportunities. There is no chance involved in it. It is God's providence. Now, the theory of evolution is based entirely on chance. A believer's life is one of divine providence, of God caring for us. Now, I will just say that for me personally, and I'm not saying that I do this right, but I try to avoid using words like chance or coincidence or luck for that reason, because it is not that. It is God giving us opportunities um, life and circumstances are not a matter of chance, but they are God's hand at work in and through us. Warren Wiersbe writes, life is not a series of accidents. It is a series of appointments. And I think that thinking of, of those things in life that come up, they're not chances or coincidences. Rather, they're opportunities or appointments that God puts in our, in our path. He continues then in verse 11. Not that I speak in respect of want, for I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. Paul is not expressing his gratitude to the Philippian believers out of a sense of being needy or that he needed this help. Rather, he's doing so from a posture of contentment. He states clearly here that he has learned to be content. It was a process, not something that came naturally. It took time. He had to go through a lot of difficult experiences before coming to the point where he could even say this. I have learned to be content. I thought it was interesting Danny read uh, Paul's testimony because this, this did not happen at his conversion on the road to Damascus, even when he was struck down with a blinding light. He was not content at that point, but it was something that he had learned over the course of 20, maybe 30 years since his conversion. And now he's able to definitively make that statement that he has learned to be content wherever he finds himself, including currently being in prison because of the gospel. You know, contentment is not something we hear much about today. And I'm even talking within the church. We just don't hear much about it, and you certainly don't hear it outside of the church. As I thought about that, you know, our culture and even our economy in which we live prefers if we aren't content, or at least not too content for too long. Advertising attempts to create an appetite and a longing for that something that we don't yet have, deceptively implying 
this thing or experience will bring us the happiness or contentment that we deserve. And whatever short-lived satisfaction we derive from getting what we wanted, it soon dissipates as we set our eyes on the next thing. And I know I'm generalizing, but in many ways, that's how it tends to work far too often. So what does it mean to be content like Paul was here and what he was expressing? The dictionary definition is say, it says that contentment is having enough, being independent, self-sufficient, and satisfied. Now, the Greek word that Paul uses here if it was literally translated, would be, or it meant, and the way that it was used was self-sufficient. It was a favorite word among the Stoics of Paul's day, that they could claim that they were self-sufficient. But it's obvious from the context that that is not what Paul is saying. Paul is not claiming that he is self-sufficient in himself, in and of himself, he is sufficient and content in Jesus Christ. And I thought um, of the testimony last night of Carlos Scott as well, that he and his family have reflected this kind of a posture as well of the focus is on Jesus Christ. And it's not about the circumstances around him, but it's on what Jesus Christ has done. Also want to make it clear that contentment is not complacency. There is a big difference. It's not laziness or an excuse to quit disciplining ourselves and growing personally and spiritually. However, I believe contentment is the ability and the willingness to accept and embrace our circumstances, that reality in which we find ourselves even when it does not necessarily reflect what we thought were our own desires and ambitions. I mean, we just have to look at Paul to see this. Look at Paul, an intelligent, ambitious, zealous, educated Pharisee, on the road to success in so many ways, and he changes course drastically. On his second missionary journey, Paul's plans were upended when he received the Macedonian call and was told to go to Europe instead of into Asia to do missionary work. Many times, things didn't go as planned for Paul, yet in the midst of that, he could state with confidence now that he had learned to be content and boldly trust God in the midst of whatever he was facing. Contentment is about willingness to sacrifice, to place on the altar, to give up those things that we personally desire for the sake of Jesus Christ, and then joyfully joining and embracing him in doing that work that he's wanting to do. Complacency is very different. It's not really caring about what I do or don't do. It's sitting back and really doing nothing. That's not what Paul is talking about here, but it's, it's engaging 
with what God is wanting to do. And Paul is not complacent, nor was he suggesting that complacency is acceptable. Continues in verse 12, For I know both how to be abased and how to abound. Everywhere and in all things I am instructed both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. <clears throat> Paul certainly experienced periods of significant hunger, mistreatment, poverty, want. But there were also times when things weren't difficult and he was even flourishing. But it was through this mixture of easy and difficult circumstances that he learned through divine empowerment not to base his contentment on the circumstances, but rather to keep his focus on Jesus Christ, to understand how to best navigate the situation that God had placed him. The Greek word in this verse that's translated instructed in the King James, and in the ESV it is learned, I am instructed, uh, everywhere and in all things I am instructed. It's unique. It is the only time this Greek word is used in the New Testament. And what's interesting is that it is typically used in a pagan sense. It was used in the context of what the... Uh, initiation rites were of pagan mystery religions. Is that's how the word is, was generally used. A literal translation would be, I have been initiated. And so if you look at it in that way, it's, it's different than just learned, but it was something that was kind of put on him. Paul was initiated into contentment everywhere and in all things. It was an all-encompassing initiation and learning for him to get to this point that he can say, I have learned to be content. And then verse 13, very familiar verse, I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. I believe this would rank as probably the most misused and abused verses in all of Scripture, often used in the context of personal ambitions. This is not a promise that I can do anything if I set my heart to it, and that's often the way that it is used. It is quoted. The context is so important. The context is Paul explaining that over an extended period of time, he has learned contentment. And this verse is a key to that contentment. And the two key words are through Christ. I can do all things through Christ, which strengtheneth me. It was only through the power of Christ that strengthened Paul, that he was able to say earlier that he had learned to be content. It, it is easy to get fixated on those first five words, I can do all things, and kind of gloss over or skip the rest. And in our age of self-focus, self-help, self-actualization, 
we're told again and again that if we that we can be whatever we want we choose to be we have the power within us to become and to fulfill our dreams and desires but this mindset is focused on totally the wrong thing it's focused on me on ourselves and what i want paul here is fixated on jesus christ we should be we shouldn't be so fixated on what we want, but we should be asking God what he wants, how he wants to use us. My paraphrase of this verse 13, of this popular verse that I believe really communicates what Paul intended here is that I can be content in any and all situations by the supernatural strength that Christ gives me. I think that's what the intent of that verse is. It's about how he became content, that Christ empowered him. The secret of contentment is surrendering our will and our desires to genuinely trust God, to empower us to be content in any circumstance he places us. Amen. He continues in verse 14. Let's read verses, uh, well, actually, let's read verses 14 to 16. In these three verses, um, verse 14 to 16, yet it was kind of you to, sh and this is from the ESV, to share my trouble. And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. So here in these, here he kind of transitions from his idea of expressing how he learned contentment to now how the Philippian church has been a faithful supporter of him in the past and over time. Multiple times, the Philippian believers have shared with Paul financially even though no other churches were joining them in doing so. Paul mentions leaving Macedonia, which is northern Greece, which given this context, would, that he probably was down in Athens or Corinth is, is likely what can be assumed here, and maybe even Berea as well, which was a little further south. So at least twice, and according to these verses, the Philippian church sent gifts to Paul in Thessalonica, that was the capital of Macedonia. That was the major city. Philippi, remember, was a very small town. And then given the description of the Philippian believers in this letter, I believe that uh, Paul recognized the tremendous sacrifice they made in, his, in the second letter to Corinthians. And I'd like to invite you to turn to 2 Corinthians 8. <clears throat> and I want to read the first five verses there it does not specifically mention the Philippian believers here, but it does mention churches of Macedonia, and that is where Philippi was. And so I believe, given the context here at the end of chapter 4 of Philippians, this is referring to the Philippian believers. 2 Corinthians 8, verse 1. We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty 
has overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means, of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. And this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. I just find those verses extremely fascinating for the almost the contradiction of terms that are given here in describing this. But Paul here states that these Macedonian believers, and I'm assuming Philippians, were in a state of abundance of joy. Now, it just struck me. Does this remind you of the theme that runs throughout Philippians or what? Uh, but, but it literally states that there was an abundance of joy. There was an extreme poverty. And there was a wealth of generosity. And it says that they gave beyond their means to support Paul in the furtherance of the gospel. Now, none of this makes sense apart from these Philippian believers also learning that joy and generosity, that desire to share with others, comes out of a heart of contentment. Paul mentions the partnership that with him in giving and receiving. What does that mean? I, I think it means... I believe that it describes what was happening between Paul and the Philippians. There was this relationship that was tied that tied them together. The Philippian church was giving materially and financially to Paul to support him. And so Paul benefited from that. As a result of their generous and selfless giving, the Philippian church was receiving spiritually from the Lord that they would not have otherwise. These spiritual blessings came as a result of giving. And I don't think that they would have received that had they not been willing to be generous in that way. It's just amazing to me to think how God blessed them in that way. Paul continues then going back to Philippians 4 and verse 17. Not that I seek the gift but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. Paul is not saying these things, describing his contentment or his thanks for the gift and so forth, or even the blessings that, that he's received from them, he's not saying this because he wants the Philippians to send yet another gift. That is not what he is saying here at all. He wants to make that clear in the beginning of verse 17. He says he has received full payments and is well supplied. The King James puts it, I have all and abound and am full. So he's not asking for any of that. Rather, he's saying that these things, 
because he wants to make sure that they receive the blessings they deserve and because of their generosity. And he uses three different word pictures here in this verse or alludes to them. The first one is that of fruit. Fruit is produced after the seed is planted. The law of sowing and reaping, we were familiar with that. What is planted will produce more of the same. And so their generosity was reaping fruit. Uh, also uses the word credit or account, which would be more of a, uh, a financial term. And these gifts that they gave were investments in the kingdom of God. And they pay rich dividends or interest. And the Lord keeps the books, and he doesn't fail to pay the interest, to pay the dividends, to pay the spiritual reward for that. And then the last one is that of sacrifice, which we see at the end of verse 18. Paul saw their gift as a spiritual sacrifice as they laid it on the altar to the glory of God. This sacrifice was sweet-smelling and fragrant to God. It was acceptable and pleasing to him. Then he continues verse 19 and 20. And my God shall supply all your need according to his riches in Christ Jesus. Now unto God and our Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. ESV says, and my God will supply every need of yours. <clears throat> Paul concludes this recognition of the generosity and sacrifice of the Philippians with these two verses, a prayer and a promise of provision. Remember I said in verse 13 that the two key words were through Christ. I can do all things through Christ. Verse 19 is another one of those verses that I think is frequently claimed as a promise outside of the context in which it is given or even what is actually stated if you read it carefully. So what is Paul saying here? In this verse, let's look carefully at verse 19. And it's not what I generally assumed or thought. He's telling the Philippian believers in the context of recognizing their tremendous sacrifice in giving to Paul that God will supply your need out of the abundant provision of the riches of Christ Jesus. Perhaps materially, Certainly, spiritually. And when I hear this verse often quoted, it's more in the context of God will supply my need. And that's not what it is. It's about, it's about supplying the needs of others is what the focus is and what Paul is emphasizing here. What he's wanting to point out is that God will supply your needs after they had given out of their extreme poverty after they had given generously and with wealth of generosity, he's saying, God will supply your need. There was nothing in this for Paul. And I just feel like that is so crucial in thinking about this. We're so quick to claim a verse like this for ourselves. God will supply my need. But that is just not what he's saying. Paul is not stating this for himself. He's claiming this promise 
of spiritual blessings and provision for the Philippians because of their generosity and unselfishness. God is going to supply your needs out of the riches, out of his riches in glory. The power and the infinite resources reside in Jesus to supply those needs. And it's needs. It's not wants. It's not greeds. But it's in, in context. It's, for those, it's blessings for those who sacrificially give of themselves to Jesus Christ. And it's all for the glory for the God. It's not for any earthly recognition. Verse 21, salute every saint in Christ Jesus. The brethren which are with me greet you. All the saints salute you. Chiefly they that are of, the, of Caesar's household. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. Paul gives a very general greeting here at the end. There's not a list of names like he does in some of the other epistles. But he does single out one group of saints, the saints of Caesar's household, which indicates there was likely some prison guards or maybe some other Roman officials that became believers while Paul was in prison. And he calls them out and names them saints in, in Jesus Christ. So in conclusion, while thanking the Philippians for their generosity, Paul reminds them of the importance of learning contentment. That it takes time, but when we go through the initiation process of facing difficult circumstances that don't make sense to us at the time, we can learn to be content regardless through Jesus Christ who strengthens us. And as we learn to trust God, as we rely on Jesus for our daily strength and not dictate our circumstances, we're also going to experience an abundance of joy that is supernatural. It's not something from within us, but it's something from outside of us. And then out of this contentment and joy, generosity will bubble out of our lives. And we will want to share. We will want to do what we can for others around us, whether spiritually or materially. And as I think back over the book of Philippians, the secret to all of this lies in knowing Jesus Christ, trusting him, humbling ourselves, and being content in the circumstances we find ourselves and looking for ways to generously bless others. Let's stand together for prayer. Father, thank you for this beautiful letter to the Philippian believers that you have preserved for us for today, and they can be an inspiration and an encouragement to us today even. Thank you for this passage on learning contentment. 
being generous, being having an abundance of joy, and just simply the, the reality of learning to, to trust you, to learn to know you better, and to allow that to shape and to, um, to dictate how we respond in life circumstances that take us by surprise, even though they never take you by surprise. Just ask that you would direct our steps as we go from here. I pray that you would encourage us, that you would uh, work in our lives a desire to be content, to know you, to be joyful, and to be generous with what you have given to us as we share of our lives with those around us. Commit this all to you in Jesus' name. Amen.